Thank you. You're welcome, sweetie. Have a good day. The demand for healthcare professionals who deliver both comfort and critical care is growing. FindNursingSchools.com connected me with an accelerated Bachelor's of Nursing degree program in my area with expanded capacity so I could complete the program in 16 months. Now I'm on the path to an in-demand career that offers job stability, flexible schedules, competitive pay, and the choice of where to work. Visit FindNursingSchools.com to begin your journey today. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi, curious minds out there in our ever-expanding radio land. Welcome to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. This is the only radio show in the world dedicated to the study of coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We are coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network, located in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and broadcasting all over the world. I am a psychiatrist. I am building on the work of psychiatrist Carl Jung by making synchronicity awareness more practical using his theoretical basis for some of my ideas. Meaningful coincidences can provide a new path for spiritual development. This is a new idea that I'm trying to be able to describe and carry out and demonstrate uh, to people trying to listen. There's something about synchronicities and spiritual development that are highly connected. Synchronicities are, or meaningful coincidences involve the individual mind and the surroundings. Like meditation, synchronicity awareness brings us to recognize the interconnectedness of all things. Synchronicity adds details about the relationship of the individual to that unity. Synchronicity offers clues to how that unity might work. For example, coincidences may represent signals from another intelligence calling our attention to that intelligence existence. I believe that our minds function in our mental atmosphere, the psychosphere as I call it. Just as we breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide, we also inspire energy information and send out en energy information. The scaffolding of the, of the psychosphere is being strengthened by the rapid development of the internet. The scaffolding provides support for our psi abilities, telepathic, clairvoyance, precognition, psychokinesis, and what I call human GPS, and as our guest might know as PMIR, Psi-Mediated Instrumental Responses. Human GPS is our ability to get to places we need to go without consciously knowing how we got there. The phrase connecting with coincidence is my coincidence brand. It is the name of my book, my Psychology Today blog, my website, and my social media sites. Be sure to visit my YouTube channel too. 
To find any and all of them, please put Connecting with Coincidence in your search engine. Would you like to know how sensitive you are to coincidences? Take the Weird Coincidence survey on my website. As I mentioned, coincidences can help with the practical, emotional, and spiritual in, in our lives. And they make us wonder how they work. Our guest today, Julia Musbridge, has some ideas about how they might work, how it might work, particularly precognition, which is uh, to me a subset of many coincidences. But I, I have been tuned into the psychosphere idea, and one of the ideas about the psychosphere is related to how, if someone thinks of an idea, the chances are someone else is thinking about that idea too that we are part of a group mind and we are thinking together at various levels. Uh, many scientific discoveries have been made simultaneously, uh, among them evolution and calculus, but some authors have come up with 132 different ones that were simultaneous. And that was in 1922 when this link was made between two people at finding the same, or many people finding the same idea or just discovering the same possibility. But the way Dr. Mossberg thinks is a little different and we will get into uh, that. And I'll try to describe uh, from what I've read how she might think. Um, part of the reason is maybe um, that we don't have a good idea about how telepathy and precognition work is because we may be looking in the wrong place. Uh, telepathy may not be about transmitting messages. Uh, there may not be technically a sender or receiver, which is still the, my old-fashioned way of thinking about it, because precognition may exist outside of time in that non-local soup where all our consciousnesses are connected. Dr. Mossberg is of the IONS Institute of Noetic Sciences, uh, and published a, cut, a cutting-edge textbook called Transcendent Mind, Rethinking the Science of Consciousness. And amazingly, it was published by the American Psychological Associ Association, which suggests that the mainstream media are getting a little more interested in these ideas. I was pleased to see that an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago that it was about coincidences, included a, a lot of my ideas in it. At, at a conference, Dr. Mossberg, Dr. Mossbridge acknowledged that scientists are starting to reach the same conclusion as Vedic meditators did over five, 4,000 years ago. It's the same thing, perhaps, that all meditators who experience non-dual states of awareness or cosmic consciousness already know without a need for data. It concerns the nature of non-local awareness, non-conscious, non-dual, real mind ideas. We will, we will come to our fascinating discussion with Dr. Mossbridge in our next segment. We'll be back after a short break. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, 
Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That's me. Our guest today is Dr. Julia Mossbridge. She is scientific director at the Institute of Noetic Science, is the director of the Innovation Lab at the Institute, a visiting scholar in the psychology department at Northwestern, the science director at Focus at Will Labs, and an associate professor in integral and transpersonal psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies. She is all over the country, ladies and gentlemen. She is currently engaged in three love-centered projects. Loving ALS, a project designed to bring unconditional love into artificial intelligence, especially artificial general intelligence, a project in which she is examining whether hypnosis can be used to induce a state of unconditional love, and the calling her current book project about how love gets translated into life's purpose. Dr. Mossberg's interest in how time is perceived by unconscious and conscious processes has led her to examine aspects of both cognitive and perceptual timing. These are amazing projects, and I'm particularly interested in love because Part of the group I'm with um, here at the Division of Perceptual Studies in Charlottesville, Virginia, and many other discussants about consciousness don't emphasize love enough. And Julia, I admire and applaud your desire and need and focus on bringing love into the study of consciousness. Welcome to our program. Thank you so much, Dr. Beitman. I'm delighted to be here. Well, tell us about love and what you're doing uh, to make love more a part of various things. Sure. Um, So I originally started out with an interest um, only in time. And I wanted to, since I was a child, I wanted to understand time and precognition because I had so many dreams that were specifically related to future events that had had stunned me and made me realize that um, it's possible that time doesn't work the way that we sort of generally think it works. And then lately, um, I've had the experience, and it was, and it's, it's, it just occurs to me now, of course, that it was a total synchronicity. But um, 
I had the experience of uh, some donors at, at the Institute of Noetic Science, Noetic Sciences coming up to me and talking to me about love. And I talked with them passionately about love and I realized how important, I, I never thought it could be studied before. I thought that was sort of an interest that I had on the side of my science. Um, so I just, wow, you know, the power of love to change people's lives and the being able to access unconditional love it, it seems to me to be in that same sort of state, as you said, sort of the cosmic soup where all of our consciousnesses are intertwined and there's no time and space. And there's also this, this seems to be made of love and the soup is like the base of the soup is love. And um, so I was talking passionately with them about that. And I realized that's a passionate interest of mine and why not study it? You know, I was taught in graduate school that any question can be approached scientifically and no question is off limits. So um, I thought, okay, I'm going to add that to my list of, of things that I want to do is to try to teach and learn about not only time, but love. And so, so since then I've been, I've been doing that in addition to my work on time. And it seems very um, strangely uh, simpatico with the, the time work. It seems to integrate right in there. Uh, partly because of this idea about sort of this cosmic soup um, being made of love and 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 accessing that um, being in a state of timelessness and, and sort of spacelessness. Um, so that evolved into several projects and and they were funded by these donors um, who call themselves the Hummingbird Fund. And um, <laughs> so I think they go around and they pollinate projects like this. Um, <laughs> so I think that's how they got their title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of them is the Loving AI project, um, which is about artificial general intelligence, which is intelligence that, um, you know, it, does, it doesn't just do the thing that you trained it to do, it can learn to do other things. Um, so it's not something that exists quite yet. Um, but people are working on it all around the world. And using the, the deal with artificial general intelligence is it's like creating a human sort of baby mind that is capable of learning whatever is, is taught to it. Um, and then it can, has the capacity to be super intelligent. And so the concern is if you have these super intelligent, uh, accelerated learners around, um, if they're not coming from a, a place of unconditional love, then, um, we may be in trouble. And so the idea is to put them in a place of unconditional love from the start. That's one reason for that project. The other reason, sort of from a more positive, less apocalyptic standpoint, is that many, many, many people have never had the experience of unconditional love. And if um, a robot embedded with this artificial general intelligence can give them an experience of unconditional love, that can change the way people are with each other. So almost like making up for lost time in uh, childhood development. So uh, let, me, let me ask you a question about that. Yeah. Uh, um, I have, I'm a psychiatrist. I have a, I have a patient who had, uh, who married a woman who described herself as an energy worker. Mm -hmm. And uh, she brought to him uh, the most intense love he has ever experienced. Mm -hmm. it, it was the kind of love that I think you're talking about. I have experienced recently some a love like this, and it is it is almost overwhelmingly wonderful to mm -hmm. experience it. 
she ended up using it to um, marry him and then take him for all the money she can. And mm-hmm. she's in the process of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I've see, I saw that happening, and I kind of see that happening in a smaller way with the person that I have had this experience with, and it's a wonderful experience. It it, it looks like a touching touching the divine mm-hmm. uh, that you that I felt, and I think he doesn't think it this way yet. But he tu- she helped him touch divine love or this universal love, the love that's in the soup that you're talking about. And I, I think we don't ha- think we should worry about the the AI, the general AIs, but we got to worry about people who are misusing this connection to eternal, uh, unconditional love for their own benefit. Yeah, so it seems to me there's two different things there, but they happen to coalesce in this person, right? So you have... So you have anyone who has the capacity to give other people that experience has a lot of can have a lot of power. Yes. G- giving them the experience is not wrong, and in fact, is it's it's called agape, right? It's 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 very very right. It's a wonderful it's a wonderful gift to give someone that experience. Yeah. But, but because human beings are mixed bags and are messed up in many ways, you're going to have situations where someone's going to say, "Here's this amazing experience. Now I have control over you." Yes. The control piece does not come from that agape place, right? Of course. It comes from this more petty, um, uh, it doesn't even come from a place of eros, which is romantic love. It just comes from a, a, a petty, needy, controlling place that's yes. about yes. whatever's you know wrong with the person. And so I think that you absolutely have to get clear that when you're having an experience of agape, there's nothing wrong with that. And that doesn't mean that any person or a robot who gave that to you is somehow without fault or can do no wrong. I think that's an important distinction. What's, what's amazing to me is that uh, these two, and these, these both are women, could get to that agape feeling, to that unconditional love, and still have so many hang-ups. Yeah, but it's not like it doesn't work like that. Like there are there, you know, remember Sai Baba, who was this great teacher in India, right? Yeah. Um, he could apparently manifest objects or do all sorts of things that people would claim, right? See into your future, see into your past. Um, but he also molested young boys, right? And people are such a mixed bag. So I don't think I think that we wish that it was were the case that someone would have to be pure of heart to be able to access these states, but it's almost like the universe is so generous that even the, I mean, in a way, think of it this way, think of it reverse. Who are the people who most need to be able to access that? The people who are most messed up, right? That's true. (laughs) That's true. I I mean, this is, let's go off on this one because uh, more and more I am seeing highly developed spirit, people who are spiritually highly developed having difficult interpersonal relationships yeah. and i've heard it's kind of like they hide in spirituality and so they don't have to pay attention to the interpersonal yep right i see that all the time too i, I think that there's this balance i mean so i, I i've i had this really brilliant teacher a, a kabbalistic healing teacher once tell me she said i'm more comfortable way up floating in the clouds and i could absolutely talk with people all day about that but when it comes to balancing my checkbook and dealing with men and you know she's like i'm, I'm at a loss you know, so I think people, it's like being an athlete. You could be a really great athlete or you might not be a good chess player or you could be 
you know, and some athletes are great chess players, but like there's, there's a distribution of talents. It takes more than one person to, to create the, the, the sort of organization or the community that we wish we lived in. There's, we, we, I think people want to search for some sort of guru who's completely whole. And I just don't know that that exists. For some, for some reason, someone who can invoke in me or invoke in my patient, that, kind of experience would seem until we're talking right now until I've seen these experiences different from being really good at something I've and maybe that's part of the delusional thinking or the wishful thinking that someone who can give the give me give him the experience of that depth of love it's amazingly beautiful yeah yeah amazing and makes you fall in love with the other person because of that experience right Uh, but I mean, got... isn't it? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I know what I'm going to say. Oh, okay. I was just got excited about that idea because it just occurred to me. Um, you know, isn't that so much what we do with our mothers? Like, my God, they must be perfect because look at the feelings of love that overwhelm us with them, right? And then when they're not perfect, we're like, oh God, help us. <laughs> I uh, I I know Freud. I've blamed my mother for a lot of things, uh, <laughs> and mothers get blamed for a lot of things. I I don't agree with this analogy here, but I see why mm-hmm. you make it because mm-hmm. the intensity of this love se- seems beyond anything that uh, most mothers can instill in their children. Because the mothers are usually asking for something, trying to do something, uh, uh, help the child develop. This this is becoming a conduit that the woman becomes a conduit to the divine i don't think that many mothers will do that uh maybe they do. <laughs> I, they, I think they, they might do at infancy i think they might do that at infancy well in infancy the the mother's brain is very much like the brain of someone who's romantically in love you know that yeah that's right uh, and, and that ain't the same as this divine love thing uh, that's true that's more eros yeah yeah, this this is this is something really wonderful, but what what I think I think we got to do is is warn people about this. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, just because uh, someone if if people could think of it more like an athletic talent, like just because someone can run fast doesn't mean they're a great opera singer. You know, just just because someone can bring this feeling to you does not mean that they're pure of heart. No, it's a skill. That, that's. That's uh, very good. We're coming to the end of, of this segment uh, in about uh, a few seconds. But this love is so important for us to study in this way. And I, let's keep going with this. We'll, we'll, we'll be back after a short break. Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We're talking about synchronicity, generally speaking, and we have Dr. Julia Mossbridge with us. And Julia, a lot of times when I'm doing this, these programs, what's going on in my life is easy to is a kind of fodder for the discussion, and it certainly is right now. And I'm just delighted to to talk with you about this. Would you? I can describe. I can see how, um, like somebody becomes a good athlete. I played a lot of football and baseball, but how do they? How do they? People get in touch with this, this love, this universal, unconditional love. How, how do they do that? Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Well, I know how I know how one of them did it. I mean, she did a lot of meditation. She yeah. did a lot of incantations. She yeah. she connected to the divine feminine. She kept saying, and then she she was able to almost download the divine feminine through her eyes into me, and right. it was very powerful. Yeah. Uh, so, was, go ahead. Yeah. So I think so. That, that's her story about how she did it. But yeah. um, right. But we don't really know how she did it. It could be that she did all that stuff. And she had access to it anyway, and it just uh, she just let herself let herself believe that she had access after a certain period of time. And I kind of believe that's how it works. I kind of believe we all have access right now in this very moment. And um, but we sort of can't believe it, and we sort of and because we can't believe it, we can't feel it. And there's a I mean, so since I was in my early twenties, I've been praying. And, you know, as a scientist, I'm like, well, I'm just going to start praying because I don't even know if I believe in God, but I feel the urge to pray. So I just started praying. And um, I didn't have a picture of who I was praying to, you know. And But through the process of praying, I started having this feeling that, you know, when I'm praying, I feel really good. Um, I, feel, I feel connected to myself and I feel connected to the universe and I'm just going to keep doing this. And... And I would ask questions like, well, how can I have the experience of, you know, complete agape, complete love, complete connection with you, God, when I started talking to God as God, um, or the cosmos or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes I just call it love. Um, and the answer I would get back would be just keep being yourself. There's no secret sauce, you know. And I couldn't believe the answer. And I would just be like, no, there must be some special thing. And and I think at some point I just surrendered. And, and again, I don't know if this is the secret sauce or if this is just my story about what happened. But for me, I just surrendered and said, okay, God, I'm, I, I think I've been scared to feel this and scared to be out of control because you know that that feeling of love, you're not in control of it. It's not a state of control. It's not a state of ego. So I was, and I was scared of the uh, annihilation of myself, and I was scared of all sorts of possible outcomes. And I just said, so I'm scared of all these things, and I still want to have this experience. And from then on, it was much easier for me to access it because um, I just admitted I was afraid. When you say just being yourself... How does that relate to not having to be afraid? Well, because part of, I mean, I think it's a sort of a little sphinx riddle, right? Part of being myself was a person who was in an evolutionary path where I was going to learn how to surrender and not be afraid. Mm -hmm. 
So the answer to the question of how to do this is like, keep on doing the thing that's your development, you know, keep on doing the thing that's who you are over time. That's doing. Uh, what about thinking? What about feeling? But it was a trick. See, it wasn't doing. Basically, yeah. the answer was be yourself, which is not a doing, right? Yeah, right. right. So I, my question was a doing. What should I do to get this? And yeah. the answer was a being. Be yourself. And I was like, wait, that's not a doing. Exactly, I had that response. <laughs> so, what I hear from you is the being is not being afraid. Yeah, but I don't think you can even make yourself not be afraid. I think you almost have to pray for that too. In other words, the whole thing is out of your control. Like, we want it to be that if that if I take this pill or flip the switch, then I get this thing because then we're still a little bit in control. Even if the thing that you get is a feeling of surrender and being out of control. But I think it's really more like I had to pray for that too. Like, I'm afraid and I'm praying that that fear will be lifted so that I can experience this. And at some point it was, and it was real subtle and it was real, um, gradual and it wasn't scary in any way, but it's, it's not there now for the most part. And so what's your life like now that you have surrendered? It's really smooth. It's really smooth. Um, you know, people talk about peace of mind. I used to, I, I would, I was in several 12 step groups, um, for various things and people would talk about having a feeling of serenity or peace of mind. And I would just be like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. Um, and now I have an idea. Now I really get it is, is just like I'm taken care of. Um, so I, I do, I feel, you know, the lilies of the field is, is one of the examples, um, from the Bible. I feel very taken care of every one of my projects that I'm working on. I sort of say, okay, universe, you know, take this where you want it to go. And it does. And I find out where it wants it to go. And I get my marching orders and I follow along, you know. So someone will call me and say they want me to write a book about something. Well, that's my next marching order, you know. Someone will say, oh, hey, what have you thought of doing this? And then I'll get a feeling and I'll be like, that's my next marching order. It's I'm just not in charge. And it's such a relief to not be in charge. It is such a relief not to be in charge. And some of the marching orders that you're describing come from outside of you, from people. Um, but I'm assuming you get them from inside, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it'll be a marching order. So my, I guess the ultimate arbiter of whether something's a marching order or just something someone wants me to do yeah. is whether I have an internal experience of, of yes in a connected way to it. Internal experience of yes. <laughs> How about when you get the the intu intuitive marching order? Some it comes from inside, not from outside. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess you still can do the same thing. Internal experience of yes. Yeah, because there's some of them that are just me making up ideas that you know, to satisfy my ego or yes, whatever. Yes. My my kid will think I'm cool if I do this project yes, or whatever. Yes, you know yes, what I yes. mean? <laughs> So I have to have that internal experience of yes, where it feels like it's coming from not me, where it so, feels like it's not coming from my ego. Suzanne Cloris uh, gave a great example um, of that uh, around her pregnancy. I, I, I can't repeat the whole thing, but it was, again, her ego wanting it to be something that it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and she 
found it out <laughs> that you can th that trick of the ego to make up something and have you believe it's an intuitive message coming from beyond is difficult to separate out. And you do it by saying one has a yes to it, but she sounded like she thought it was a yes too. You can make you can make up the yes. It looks like. Yeah, you know the ego is wily, 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 <laughs> wily, wily coyote in there. Yeah, yeah. Trying, trying to get its thing going. Yeah. I think the way I tell the difference is one is a calming, yes, where there's no um, real. Like, there might be enthusiasm about it, but it's not excitement. It's not urgent. It's not adrenaline pumping. Um, and then the other one, the ego's one is sort of, oh yeah, this would be great. Adrenaline pumping, you know, that kind of, um, yes. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope our listeners can figure out what we're, what we mean by this too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <'Cause>, <laughs> <laughs> that adrenaline versus the yes versus mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, versus, and then there's gradations in between that can confuse you too. I just, uh, I, I had arranged a, a dinner party with a bunch of different friends for next Thursday, but I just had the feeling that uh, maybe that should be canceled. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just a quiet, calm, internal thing that just felt like breathing uh, mm. to send out the email that said, uh, for these reasons, um, I have to cancel it. And it, it was so nice and smooth. And I, I think that's the experience you're describing when you make, I mean, you make decisions uh, that are based on something that's not your ego. Yeah, well, it feels smooth because it's just the thing that needs to happen. It's not really even you're doing, right? It's just like, oh, this is the thing that needs to happen, so I'm just going to write this email. Yeah. 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 Uh, would you tell us, tell us, uh, give the, our, our audience a little uh, background on Suzanne Cloris and you and the, and the coincidence that she enjoyed so much? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Suzanne is this uh, really brilliant uh, writer who talks, who brings her own personal experience into everything she writes about the paranormal and, and extraordinary experience. And she's fascinated by that. And um, the, I, but I didn't know any of that about her in, until I met her. And I met her in an interesting way. She um, she contacted me via, I believe, email and said, "I've read about you online. I am doing something called the Extraordinary Project, where I'm gathering stories about uh, extraordinary happenings that people have that are remarkable and and maybe go counter to the ways of scientific." community thinks about things and your work on precognition seems really important related to that. So I'd like to talk with you. And I said, sure, you know, let's set up a Skype call or where do you live? Maybe we can get together. And she said, well, you know, I live in this town called Evanston near Chicago, Illinois. And I was like, well, that's interesting because I live here too. <laughs> and she said, no way, where do you live? And I told her and we, it turns out we lived, I don't know, five blocks away from each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And we got together for, for coffee and uh, just hit it off tremendously. Now she's a good friend. And uh, I consult with her on some of her writing projects, you know, if she needs information about precognition or, or psi or paranormal stuff. And um, it became a remarkable friendship and a, and a great collaboration. And all through just her willingness to email this strange person who could have lived anywhere in the world. How do you how do you explain it in your in your ways? 
or don't you? Um, yeah, I, you know, I sort of say, so on the one hand I say, um, if you believe in coincidence, so if you believe, I guess I don't totally understand the idea of coincidence. Um, coincidence is a fig leaf for stuff that we're talking about. It's right. It, it sometimes, sometimes things just are coincidences, which mean they're, they they just happen, and there's no nothing to look behind them. But a lot more of them suggest underlining explanations, underlying uses that if, if we pay attention to them. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I don't really understand that there can be such a thing as something that's a pure coincidence. I guess I used to think that because I didn't think that there was any sort of uh, meaning to anything. I used to think that everything that happened was uh, anarchic and a coincidence. And I think I've really swung the other bit to the other side of the yeah. page where I feel like, no, just basically we call coincidences things where we just, the, the cause is so complicated that we don't understand it. Oh, that's good. So you, you've gotten to realizing that we live in a bunch of symbols that are, are tell, trying to tell us something about what's going on with ourselves. Well, yeah, and I don't even see how there could be coincidences simply because the primary, or in fact, the only experience that anyone ever has is essentially a story of what's happening. So that story has to be sensical. We're coming to the end of this segment, and we'll continue talking about uh, what you mean by coincidences and symbols, and we're going to get to precognition, too. We'll be, at, we'll be back after a short break. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back to CC with BB. I am going to predict the future right now that our guest, Julia Mossbridge, and I will talk about precognition. Ah, Julia, please talk <laughs> about precognition. 
<laughs> Perfect introduction. So that brings us exactly to what precognition is not. So <laughs> precognition is not um, being able to predict the future based on your inference from um, events that you know are going to unfold. So if it's raining out, it's not precognition to say, you know, I think I'm going to bring my umbrella because look at the clouds, yeah. right? So precognition is more about what we don't know. So um, you wake up in the morning and you were planning to go to work. You normally go to work on Thursdays, but uh, on this particular Thursday, you just feel that you want to stay home. And maybe you listen to it and maybe you don't. But um, if you're one of the folks who were um, working in the 9-11, in the, in the Twin Towers on 9-11, uh, a good portion of them stayed home uh, without necessarily knowing why. That's the kind of precognition where you're not necessarily aware of why you're having an experience, but you have a very compelling experience that changes um, changes your life. Uh, then there's other types of precognition where you're aware. You, 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 some people, for instance, speaking of 9-11, uh, had dreams of the towers. My sister, who's an artist, drew pictures several weeks before the event of the towers in flames uh, with, with a picture of some men in turbans and didn't know why she drew that. Um, so that's a kind of precognition where you're more conscious of, of what is going on. And then there's precognition where your body just... Uh, your, physiological signals, you could pick up physiological signals that are related to future events that you're not conscious of, but those physiological signals sort of drive what you do. And how do you, th how do you think that works? <laughs> um, yeah, so we're at the stage of precognition where we're still trying to convince people, as the scientists who study this, and maybe there's 12 folks around the world who study this, um, we're still trying to convince people that this is something we actually see in the data, and there are plenty of people who think that you know we're, we're um, fraudulent or we're making it up. So there's a, a fight that's going on sort of on the academic stage about that right now. I, I, I have, a, I have a, an idea that I think would possibly help getting belief about precognition. Uh, when I study coincidences because most people have at least a few and some people have a lot of them and buried within uh, coincidences, if you look at them, are things like precognition. And rather than trying to convince scientists who hold fixed belief about the way the world works and just using data to do that, I mean, Dean Radin has, among others, has gotten so much data about telepathy, but it's still, and psychokinesis, but the data doesn't convince the rigid belief system of people, but the, 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 the people out there in the world, uh, I am finding more and more have coincidences that include precognition. And mm -hmm. if, the, if, if we can support their belief, which is what I'm trying to do, if we can say there is something more going on because you are experiencing this something that lots of other people are also experiencing, that means synchronicity becomes a kind of wedge to be mm -hmm. able to get people talking about it, not just scientists. What do you think of that? Oh, I think that's right on. I mean, I think that's why I do these kind of shows, and um, that's why I'm writing a, a book called The Premonition Code that'll be a, a mainstream uh, a lay audience book about good, uh, good, precognition. Good. That's, I, I do think the best way is to basically 
talk to people who don't have weren't raised up in the view that they understand how everything works. Yes. Um, <laughs> it yes. ends up not. It, it, it's funny because scientists are supposed to be exploring how things work, but to get there, we get a lot of fixed beliefs about how things work. It's unfortunate. Um, but it, I do have some ideas about how it could work. Um, yes. And so I'm happy to sort of speculate. And just as long as it's clear that here are some ideas, um, take them or leave them. I can't validate any of them. Um, so, uh, Before we go ahead with it, uh, what is a theory but mm -hmm. some story made up by some smart person who th sees something over there around the hill uh, and tries to describe it? And sometimes people go around the hill and they see it, and sometimes they don't. So you're in the midst of this. So I'd ask you to not be so, so tentative about what you're saying. <laughs> okay, good. Good. It's true. I, it's true that I see things around the hill and I do try to describe them. I'll just say that um, it's a faraway hill, so it might be a little fuzzy. Um. <laughs> okay, fuzz away there, Julia. Fuzz okay, away. I'll fuzz away. Um, so there's one idea is this idea of, okay, the cosmic soup. So if you're in touch with, if you could go to a state of connection with, with other minds or just the con cosmic consciousness in general, time does not exist there. Time only exists when um, we have individual experience in our individual minds. And that's a theory that I, I strongly, um, I think has some real promise to start thinking about it that way. Instead of thinking about the question, how could precognition happen? Think about the question, how can we fabricate the idea that there's linear time? Um, okay. Because okay. that's a question that physicists have to ask themselves too, right? So when physicists are trying to understand, uh, for instance, special relativity, um, Einstein's special relativity, they have to start to understand this this idea of a block universe, that everything that has ever happened or will happen already sort of somehow exists, but we travel through it in some sort of linear fashion with our conscious experience. So there are multiple examples like that from physics. So also in quantum mechanics, there's recently uh, evidence of um, retrocausality. So uh, choices that are made in the future essentially agreeing with, um, in a correlational way, agreeing statistically with whatever happened in the past in a way that makes you feel like the cause is moving backwards in time. So because in, in special relativity and in quantum mechanics, there's this kind of idea that our linear notion of time doesn't totally work to explain what's happening, you can kind of start to ask the question, okay, well then our linear notion of time is a fabrication. So how do we get that fabrication? Mm -hmm. And why do we need it? Why do we need the fabrication of linear time? And I think the reason we need the fabrication of linear time is because you don't get individual. There's something about the universe that wants us to have individual experience, me and not you, you know? There's you, there's me, and we're separate somehow. And there's something about the universe that wants us to have the unity experience. You and I are connected. And so there's something that wants both. And when I say want, I don't know if it's a real wanting, like a human wanting, but there's something that we seem to have both. We seem to have desire for both individuality and connection. And so to have the individuality, we need the, the linear, because otherwise, if everything's happening at once, who am I? I? I'm not this person here. I'm also this person when I was two years old, plus I'm um, this person when I'm 85, right? 
there's the the who am I is much more difficult to define. But if I want to have connection, then having linear time is very difficult because I have to be connected to my earlier self. I have to be connected to my future self and I have to be connected to you. So this is a roundabout way of saying, I think precognition is the norm rather than the exception. And I think that there are parts of our brains that are designed to essentially create a, a fabrication of a linear order of events. And that our precognitive experiences, precognitive dreams, premonitions, uh, presentiments, they sort of sneak under that filter every so often, especially when it's important. And the more they sneak under that filter, and the more we kind of encourage that and write them down and, and sort of praise that part of ourselves for getting that information, uh-huh. the more it keeps coming through. It's almost like creativity. Sort of the more you work with it, the more it, it keeps del- delivering itself with you. And I'm sure you found that with coincidences, right, or synchronicities. The more you acknowledge them, the more they occur. Yes, ma'am. That's yeah. why I call myself Dr. Coincidence, because they just keep happening. Yep. And in 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 a spectrum of things, you have been focusing on precognition. So I'm assuming that you're 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 feeling, thinking, experiencing more precognitive stuff. Yeah, I mean, I had part of why I'm in this field is just because since I was a child, I've been extremely precognitive, and my family is um, as well. And even my father, who's a physicist, he has these precognitive. Um, things that he does that he won't admit are precognitive uh, and maybe they're, they're not to him, but you know, they're, they're very um, remarkably precognitive to me. He, he, he gets decades ahead of himself in terms of inventions and uh, you know, was once fired, I think in the eighties from AT&T Bell labs, because he brought up the crazy idea of having individual ringtones, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So uh, he doesn't think, he just thinks he's creative. I think he's looking into the future. So <laughs> uh, the way that, that's another, that's another discussion separating out what seems to be a logical progression from uh, being able to see into the future. They are tied together, I think. It, I think requires, so. it requires both kind of experience plus, then you add some, I won't say whipped cream on top of it, but something else comes in that's precognitive. We got to end in about a minute. Tell us a little bit about the books that's coming out and then we'll we'll wrap up okay cool it's called the premonition code it won't be out until the fall of uh next year so october 2018 and it'll be penguin in the u.s and watkins media in the uk and it's with Teresa chung a uk author who i really admire and the what you uh, give us a, an elevator speech for what's going to be in there Oh, it's all about um, the science behind premonitions, precognitions, a bunch of amazing stories about precognitions, premonitions from scientists who've had them. Um, it'll be a discussion about how you can you can have them uh, in your life and develop them and use them for uh, to your benefit to help you out. Well, you've just, you've helped me out with uh, our discussion of uh, unconditional divine love, and thank you very very much. And my patient, I'm going to send him this interview. It's going to help him too. So thank you, Julia Mossbridge, for being on our show. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Beckman.